Check this out. Here's why this is good, okay? Y'all settle down. I know y'all excited. No. <laughs> Here's why this is good. In December, we started a new series in Advent. And at the start of that series, we said that we start, we're going to start praying to raise the level of our expectation for God to do two things. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? Y'all don't remember that. Okay. We were going to pray that God will raise the level of our expectation to multiply disciple makers at our church. That was number one. Because that's what we care about. We care about seeing disciples being formed in Jesus. Amen. The second thing was that we prayed was that God would plant us in a location where we could be a beacon of light and hope in this city. Amen. So God has answered our prayers. Do you believe God answers prayers, y'all. And he don't take a whole lot of time to answer your prayers. He answers your prayers quickly. We went into the, the new year in 21 days of prayer asking God to define us and to define us in this city so that we could be a, a church that defines our city, our culture, and our community. And God is, is, is about the work of doing that so that people could come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference in the world. Okay? All right. All right. So we're very, very excited about what God is doing. Amen. Very excited about what God is doing. So we're jumping into a brand new series today also. So that's good, right? Uh, we closed out our series, Love, Relationships, and the Church. Anybody, everybody enjoyed that series? All right, so we, we closed that out. And now we're jumping into a new series this week called Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Y'all go ahead and play the video while I get myself together and calm down up here. All right. Can't hear it. It's not coming through the speakers. It's okay. Why is y'all laughing? Y'all are nuts. All right. It's a little longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> 80s music on there. I tried to change the music, but it wouldn't let me. Um, so, listen. This new series called Hidden Figures, right? So, this series explores the stories of several women in Jesus' genealogy in life. This is Women's History Month, right? March, right? Yeah, yeah, ladies, is it? Is that what it is? Okay. Y'all gotta make some noise. Come on, make some noise up in here. Come on, she got more than one month. That's right. <laughs> Women have more than one month in my house. Yes, they do. Yes, they sure do. Um, so this this series explores the stories of several women in Jesus' genealogy and life, um, revealing. Watch, listen at this though. It, revealing the various ways in which they have been misunderstood and marginalized historically. So through these stories, though, we witness the way the biblical narrative was uniquely communicated through their lives, and we are reminded to listen and learn from other perspectives. 
So where the culture may have silenced or rejected these women, their inclusion in Jesus' Jesus's genealogy or his elevation of them during his, his own life give us a guide for how to use our influence and power to begin to build up the marginalized in our own life and community. Amen? So that's what we're going to be exploring uh, today. So I've got a message title for you today as Hidden Praise. Hidden Praise. Join me in Genesis chapter 38. And I'm going to sort of give you a survey of this whole chapter, uh, but I'm going to zoom in on these verses here. Uh, This is the story of Tamar. Genesis chapter 38, verse 24 through 26. This, this woman, Tamar, she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Um, and if you know anything about genealogies in the Bible, then you know that there are many genealogies that include women in the genealogy. And that's because it's not commonplace. It wasn't commonplace for women to be included in genealogies. It's, it's almost as if it didn't matter. It mattered who your father was, but it didn't necessarily matter who your mother was. But Jesus, in, in the book of Matthew, these, there are four women whose names are listed in that genealogy, and we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about those four women. Okay? All right? The first one is Tamar. Okay? Or Tay-Tay. We're going to call her Tay-Tay. Come on, y'all. Y'all listen. We ready. Listen. <laughs> Verse 24. This is after about three months later, Judah was told. Here's people always talking and running their mouths. He says, your daughter-in-law, Tay-Tay, has been acting like a prostitute. And now she is pregnant. So Judah says in his pride and arrogance bring her out and let her be burned to death as she was being brought out she sent her father-in-law this message she said i am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong she had tapes and receipts and she added Examine them. Whose signet ring is this? Whose cord? Whose staff are these? And then Judah, that old scoundrel, he recognized those items and said, She is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son, and he did not know intimately again see I'm gonna I'm, bear with me I'm gonna take a little bit of time to give you some background on this so that you understand the context of the story okay uh, because there's a lot in here that I want you to to, to grasp and to, and to and to glean from so the, the story of Tamar though is often ignored and avoided anybody ever heard a story of something about Tamar before anybody one to two one or two three or four But the story of Tamar is often ignored and avoided. And it's that way because we like easy moral stories with a clear good guy. And we feel uncomfortable with either of the options here in this story. See, Tamar's label of prostitute 
makes it easy to overlook her moral dilemma and the way God redeemed her difficult circumstance. So, but however, a careful study reveals that she was only using, she was using the only means available to her to combat the unjust treatment by her father-in-law. And I'm going to explain to you what, what that is. See, Tamar, she qualifies as the heroine in this story because she risked everything for her right to be the mother in the family of Judah and to protect the family. Don't that sound just like women always fighting to protect their families? But Tamar's situation, it only makes sense in in the broader context of the family narrative. So uh, in the relationships of the social structure in, in ancient Israel. So Tamar was essentially powerless after the death of her first husband in verse number seven in, in chapter 38. Her husband had been taken away because he was evil in the sight of God. So God t- took him up out of there. So she was she was essentially powerless in that time frame. If a woman did not have a husband, she was powerless She didn't have any financial status. She didn't have anything that would garner her to the family if she did not have a husband in that context. So the brother who was supposed to marry her in his in in his in her brother's in his brother's place, he only abused Tamar, used her for his own purposes and would not give her a child. That's verse eight and ten. And then she was forced to live the rest of her life as a widow because her father-in-law would not follow through on his promise to marry her to his third son. So her social position was non-existent. Are you capturing what I'm trying to say to you today? And the men that were supposed to protect her, they were mistreating her. And our world today still produces some of these very same circumstances for women and the marginalized. Presenting poor and marginalized women with impossible moral dilemmas that often force them into abusive or exploitative situations. Teenage girls are sold by pimps and placed in brothels in every large American city. Often with law enforcement and political leaders remaining in some level of complicity. Here in our own city, in Wilmington, an officer just a few weeks ago was charged with forcing a young lady to commit sexual acts for him by threatening to turn her in on an active warrant. These kinds of things are happening here in this very city. But instead of reading the story through the lens of women as manipulative seductress, the structure of Genesis lends itself to reading the story as an example of moral failure on the part of Judah. Where the label of prostitute may lead us to focus on Tamar's moral failings, the story sets up our outrage at Judah's hypocrisy. He approaches, in verse 16, he approaches a prostitute. 
That's how he came upon Tamar. He was looking for a good time. And so he found himself coming up upon a prostitute, not knowing that the woman had disgu- who had disguised herself was his very daughter-in-law. And then he declares, after having his way with her and finding out that she was then pregnant, he declares that she be burned for the very same sin that he committed. He was equally guilty of the same crime. Yet he was willing to charge her to be burned for that crime. This story, because I want you to know who Judah is. Judah was the brother of Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph and his many coats and how he went into Egypt and he became the ruler in Egypt. But Judah was the brother leading his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. Effectively making him a human trafficker. And the story, this, this, this story is sandwiched between the story of Judah leading his brothers into selling uh, uh, his brother into slavery and the story of Joseph's righteous refusal of Potiphar's wife's advances. So the point is clear here. Joseph, a victim of injustice, is acting more righteously than Judah, who is in a continual pattern of exploitation. So how do we escape all of this? How do we get through all of this? Because all of this is going on in our culture today. How do we find our way and navigate our way through this? We have to discover the hidden praise of the marginalized. We must discover the hidden praise of the marginalized. And the way that we do that is by recognizing their hidden worth. We've got to recognize the hidden worth of the marginalized in our communities. See, Judah, his name here, his name means praised or celebrated. But his character is not worthy of praise or celebration. Uh Uh-uh. I'm in trouble today in this sermon. I just know it, but it's okay. I'm not scared. See, that's the very definition of what privilege looks like. Privilege is any time you are celebrated and rewarded for something that you aren't necessarily worthy of. And, And that's why I want to encourage you to let the source of your worth today to be your character and then let your character be the source of why you are celebrated. See, if you are going to be celebrated or praised, let it be for your character. See, your superficial characteristics won't stand up in the day of calamity and accusation, but your character will. See, and it says here that, 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 that Judah was told. See, people are always running their mouths. People always got something to say about the circumstances and situations of other people, and they don't know anything about those people. See, see, the, the people will announce, this word means to announce or to inform others. They will, people will announce and inform people about your calamity. Child, did you see Tay-Tay was pregnant again? <sighs> Tay-Tay is Tamar, remember that. Did you see she was pregnant, child? She's pregnant. Yeah, girl, I heard she just be out here sleeping with everybody. 
I hear she's the number one side chick of all time. See, she's not just a snack. She's a whole gourmet meal out here. Some people run their mouths. That's how we talk. And see, this word also means to give evidence to. And people will begin to give evidence about you without knowing one fact about you. See, people will be people will constantly give evidence about your life. See, don't didn't you see what happened with her? Yeah, didn't you hear how she was acting? Didn't you see what he did the other day? And they don't know one fact about you. And see, Tamar here, even though she was talked about and misused, I want you to see in the story that God still used her in the narrative of his eternal story. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Tamar is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. What does that mean? That means that she is in the lineage of the Savior. The Savior who would come into the world and live a sinless, perfect life and die for your sins and my sins. His, his great times grandmother is Tamar. And see, this girl who was discarded and marginalized would one day be used to usher in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This beautiful image here, Tamar's name means palm tree. See, her name means palm tree, and she is in the lineage of Jesus. In other words, one of her branches flows down to Jesus. But then when Jesus decided to make his triumphal entry into the city, the people would take those same branches off of the palm tree, and then they would wave them over Jesus, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I want you to see the redemption that happens here for Tamar, this woman whose name means palm tree. She would one day have branches come from her that would lead to the Savior, and then that Savior would be inaugurated through palm branches being waved over him. See, God will take the discarded and use it for his declaration. Uh, I need some help in here today. See, God will take the discarded pieces of your life, and he will use them for his declaration. See, God will take the pieces of your life that are broken, that are falling apart, the pieces of your life that you think aren't worth anything, the pieces of your life that think that you think are no good, and God will use those very same things for his declaration. See, this is what God wants to do with the marginalized in our city. And as we move into this new location, we will be making a whole lot of noise declaring that the discarded Savior wants to use the discarded and marginalized for his decorations. Uh, I need some help in here today. Somebody help me preach this thing. See, Jesus will use the discarded and marginalized and use them as declarations of his glory. See, that's what we mean when we say that we're on the block in the middle of it for the glory of Christ. That's why we named ourselves Epiphany, because we want to be little appearances of Jesus Christ here on the earth. We want to be his his decorations here in this city that proclaim his great name to the whole world. See, then it says here that she was, Judah was told that his daughter-in-law 
was acting like a prostitute. See, in the past, you might have been unfaithful and behaved treacherously towards God. But if you're in Christ, you've got to know that you've been redeemed from all that treachery. Now watch this. After three months, three months, Judah was told that Tete was not being a prostitute, but acting like a prostitute. Other translations say she was playing the harlot. See, and many times the marginalized in our community are accused of being things that they are not. We walk in the neighborhoods and we see young black boys walking up and down the street and we say, look how scary they are. We walk in, in, in neighborhoods like the West Side and we walk up and we see, man, he looks like a thug. Not knowing that he might be studying to get his master's degree. See, we, we, we look and, and we look at, at, at women in our community and, and say that she looks lazy. Standing there at the state porter center line waiting on her housing assistance. She looks so loose. Look at all those kids that she has. And now she's pregnant again. Not knowing that the reason that she has so many kids is because the only reason, the only way she feels love is when she gives herself to a man because her uncle had damaged her self-worth by touching her when she was only nine years old. See, we, 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 we proclaim to know the story of people's lives and we don't know anything. That's why Jesus calls us to love the least, the last, the lost, and the left out. He calls us to love those that have been discarded. He calls us to love those who have been thrown away. He calls us to love those who are the least of these. See, and now she's pregnant. Tamar's pregnant. In other words, she's carrying a developing offspring in her body. See, she just finished her first trimester, three months later, her first trimester. And instead of being relieved, because usually once women make it past the third trimester, it's like, whew, it's a breath of fresh air. Like, everything's okay. Like, things are moving forward. The baby's going to be all right. You know, it's, you can start telling people and all that stuff. But here she is. Instead of being relieved, she's living in fear. And Tamar knew this because she knew that the sin of adultery, even during betrothal, was punishable by death. Even though she was a dual participant in a sinful act, she was laden with the harsh penalty for that sin. The same is true in our culture today. Women are looked at more harshly when they get pregnant out of wedlock as if they somehow got that way on their own. We say, look, she, she fast. Look how she acting. She's so fast. But not a word is muttered to the man <laughs> who impregnated her. Like she got pregnant on her own. Again, the marginalized in our community are treated more harshly than the majority culture counterparts 
for similar violations. There are black and brown boys sitting in prison right now for the distribution of recreational drugs while our state is fighting to legalize those same recreational drugs with no recourse for those offenders. Now corporations are going to profit off the very same act that these young men and women in our communities are being penalized for. See... The word for pregnant indicates that offspring is always developing in her body. What does that mean? This is just an old covenant argument against abortion. See, there's never a time when the life inside of you isn't a developing life. There's never a time when the life inside of you isn't a developing life. I don't care what New York State says. No, there's never a point in time where that's not a life. If you understood all that it had to go through to get to that point in order to become a life, then you would understand that it's a life once it happens. Yet people are deciding that it is righteous to cut off that developing life just because it is determined to be unworthy of bringing it forth. Unworthy of your time. Unworthy of our energy. Unworthy of my body, unworthy of my career, etc., etc., etc. And I'm not beating up on nobody today, but I'm submitting this. I wonder how many things uh, were developing in the life of the young men and women in this community that were cut off because somebody deemed it as unworthy of not being brought forth because of the color of his skin or socioeconomic status. See, we've got to see clearly. And that's why if we're going to discover the hidden praise of the marginalized, here's what we've got to do. We must speak out against injustice. Verse 24, Judah saying, indignant. Bring her. Bring her out. And let her be burned to death. See, this word means to deliver over. When we we don't speak out against injustice, we deliver the marginalized over to be burned. When when we look at the plight of the marginalized and not say and, and, and say that that's their problem, not mine. When we look at the marginalized in our community and we say, I don't have anything to do with that. That's them. When we look at the marginalized in our community and we don't speak up, we deliver them over to be burned and set on fire. Let me be clear. The greatest plight of the marginalized in our community is that they don't know God. They haven't found freedom. They haven't discovered their purpose. And they haven't realized that they, too, can make a difference in the world. That's the greatest plight that they have. They need to come to know God. And that's what we stand as a beacon and a lighthouse for is calling for people to know God through loving the word and to find freedom through living woven with other believers and to discover the purpose, which is to lead a lifestyle of worship so that they could leverage their work and make a difference. See, when we when we don't speak out against injustice, we allow people to get sucked into the pitfalls of injustice. Injustice. 
For example, when we don't speak out against the unjust treatment of women in the workplace, we allow them to get sucked into the pitfall of believing that they don't really deserve equal pay for equal work. When we don't speak out against the abuse of authority by police, we allow victims of the said abuse to be swallowed up and swallowed down by fear in routine situations like being pulled over by for a broken taillight. See, when we don't speak about the injustice of educational disparities in urban communities, we allow young children to become consumed by the fires of poverty. Which comes with poor educational opportunities. We must speak out against injustice. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs 31. This, this, this great passage about the noble character of, the, of, of a wife, the praiseworthy character of a noble wife starts out in verse 8 with this. Thank you, God. Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, verse 9, judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. See, God is calling us to speak out and open our mouths about the injustices that we see every day around us. That's not me saying that you got to quit your job and go be an advocate. No, stay at your job, please. <laughs> but there are injustices going on on your job in your workplace that you could speak out against. There are injustices happening in your school that you could speak up and speak out against. There are injustices that you see happen in the grocery store that you could speak out and speak up against. And here's how Tamar did it. She sent a message to her oppressor. See, it says here that she sent a message to Judah. And if you want to send a message to your oppressor, here's what you got to do. I'm going to free you up today. You've got to let yourself loose of the perceptions that they have placed upon you. You've got to extend yourself beyond the misconception that you aren't good enough or smart enough or pretty enough or strong enough or wealthy enough or wise enough to live out the God-given purpose that is in your life. You want to send a message to your oppressor? You want to send a message to those who are marginalizing you? Then stretch yourself, let yourself loose beyond the perceptions that they might have of you. Yeah, you might think I'm nothing because I come from Camden, New Jersey, but I'm here to let you know today that God has deposited something on the inside of my life that will not be squelched, that will not be shut down, that will not be quieted because God is at work in my life. And you've got to speak out, send a message to your oppressors. And we've got to send a message to those who oppress the marginalized in our community to let them know that these folks belong to Jesus. See, if we're going to speak out against the oppressor, then we've got to know deep down this, this word for message. It, it means to, to, to say in oneself. 
In other words, it means to speak in your belly. You've got to know deep down in your belly that you are Christ and that you are Christ and that you belong to him. You've got to know who you are and whose you are. If you want to speak out against your oppressor, then you have to be able to say that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror. What you meant for evil in my life, God meant it for good. I am a royal priesthood. I am the head and not the tail. When we are going to, we're going to send a message to our adversary and let him know that you cannot have these young men and women on the west side. We're going to speak clearly to our adversary and let him know that you can't have these young boys on Hilltop because they belong to Jesus. You can't have these young girls out here in this neighborhood because they belong to God. You take your hands off of them, devil, because they belong to Jesus. See, we're going to speak out against injustice. We're going to cry out against the injustices that are happening in our community. And we're going to do that with boldness. And we're going to do that with courage and knowing that God is by our side. And that if he is for us, then who can be against us? See, if we're going to speak out against the perpetuation of marginalization, then we must call for examination. I'm going to say that again because it was cool. If we're going to speak out against the perpetuation of marginalization, then we must call for examination. Meaning that we must recognize and scrutinize any system that allows for brokenness to persist in our culture, community, and city. Look at Tamar. She's like, look, I got receipts. Check this out. Look. Uh, uh, by the way, before you burn me, uh, before you burn me up, uh, listen, go find a man who these belong to, examine them, make sure you take a real good look at these, Judah, like, look at these really closely, because I, I don't want you to miss it. Examine these things. And we've got to be able to scrutinize any system in our community that allows for brokenness to persist. Here's what I mean. If you are an educator, I need you having on your hat all the time, thinking through the ways that injustice is playing out in the educational system here in Wilmington. If you are a legal professional, I need you wearing your legal professional hat with a kingdom tint to it to to notice every single time that there are injustices in the legal system around us. If you are in housing development, I need you to be thinking through the ways put on your kingdom hat and think through the ways that injustices are being dispensed out in our community as it relates to housing disparities and economic disparities and all the things of the like. And listen, if you're just a good old gospel person, if you're just a good old Bible believer, I need you wearing your hat, your kingdom hat, and looking into the injustices and disparities in our communities. When, 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 when black mystery cults are rising up and trying to tell our young black boys and girls that, that the Christianity is just a white man's religion and they don't have to trust it. I need you wearing your kingdom hat to be able to tell them and let them know, no, hold up. Christianity is an indigenous religion to Africa, and there were Africans in the scripture who were taking the gospel all across Europe and who were transporting the word of God and translating things and setting up doctrines in the early church. I need you to be able to have your hat on and your kingdom mind on to be able to push back against the injustice that's happening in our communities. 
See, this word means or it suggests that we must treat those systems of injustice as if they are strange and foreign. See, when we see children on the West Side not getting equal educational opportunities, we ought to think it's strange. We, we, we ought to be like, whoa, hold, hold up. There's something weird about this. I don't like this. When we see marginalized women in our community being pushed down, we ought to say, that this is strange to me. I don't like this. And when we see people who are far off from God, we should think that it's a foreign ideal. How is it that you couldn't worship the king of kings, the one who created the universe? How is it that you're walking around here and you haven't come to know God yet? How is it that you're in here and you've been coming to this church week after week and you still haven't met the risen Savior? How is this? Let me tell you a little bit more about the gospel. Let me tell you a little bit more about the Savior who was risen for you, who died for you, who lived the perfect life for you so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sin. Let me tell you a little bit deeper about the one who resurrected from the grave after the third day. Let me tell you a little bit more about the one who rose with all power in his hand. Let me tell you a little bit more about the Jesus who came and said to the, to the Pharisees, you better back up out of my face because I'm here for those who will worship God. He's the one who told the woman at the well, said, listen, I know you worship here, but those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. I want you to let them know about Jesus today. We should think it's strange when we see folks who are far off from God. Because that's their greatest marginalization, is that they're far off from God. And that's how we begin. It's my last idea, and I'm close. That's how we begin to level the playing field. See, leveling the playing field of marginalization begins with respecting the humanity and the imago day of those in our community. The Mago Dei is the image of God. We begin to truly discover the hidden praise of the marginalized when we respect them as image bearers of God. See, Judah is slightly redeemed in the story because he recognized Tamar's dignity in attempting to preserve her lineage. Although Tamar, she committed a sinful act as well, she will be justified through her faith in believing in the work of God to preserve her lineage. Hear me. You too are made righteous even in the face of sin, when you recognize the lineage from which you come. See, if you have faith, if you have faith in Jesus, then you are sons and daughters of the circumcision, meaning that you are sons and daughters of Abraham through faith, and it has been deposited on the inside of you that you have faith and that now you are a son and daughter of God, and you can cry out, Abba, Father, because of what Jesus has done. So when you look at your lineage and see that Jesus is in your lineage, just like Tamar looked forward to her lineage because she knew that there was something 
that God was going to do through her bearing a child. And we know that in her looking forward to Jesus, we have the same reality that as we look back to Jesus, to know that he's in our lineage, that we are sons and daughters of his. See, Jesus is the common denominator in Tay-Tay's story and your story. Jesus. He is the common denominator. See, Tay-Tay would have two sons. And one of those sons would be in the lineage of Jesus. And through that lineage, Ruth, who we're going to talk about, Rahab, who we're going to talk about, Bathsheba, who we're going to talk about, they're all in that line. And through that line came Jesus. See, the common denominator is Jesus in her story and in your story. And watch this. Sheila was the name of Judah's son that he withheld from Tamar. And Sheila's name means prayer or petition. And Judah, by not permitting Tamar to marry his son, Sheila, he left Tamar without a prayer or a petition. When we don't recognize the hidden worth of the marginalized in our community and we don't speak out against their injustice and level the playing field, we leave them without a prayer. But thank God for Jesus. I said, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus because he is the one who levels the playing field. Thank God for Jesus because he is the one who brings about justice in an unjust world. Thank God for Jesus because he is the one who gives us our worth that we ought to recognize that it is in him and not in ourselves. It comes only in Jesus. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you haven't recognized that your worth is in Jesus. Maybe you're here and you don't know that Jesus some 2,000 years ago brought justice to an unjust world. Because there was a penalty for sin and a debt that needed to be paid. Scripture tells us that the wages for sin is death, meaning that the payment that is due for sin is dying. Romans tells us also that we all sin, each and every one of us in here, you, 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 and me, we all sin. And because we all sin, we needed someone to pay that debt for us. Here's why we couldn't pay that debt. We were all born in sin. And because of our father Adam, we're all born in sin. And because of that sin, we cannot present the right offering before God. That's why in Old Testament, Israel spent so many years and weeks out of the, weeks out of the year making sacrifices over and over and over and over again. Because they didn't have a sacrifice that was worthy enough to pay the full payment for that sin. 
no matter how many lambs they brought before the altar to be slaughtered, they just weren't enough. So God, the scripture tells us, listen to this, the scripture tells us that before the foundation of the world, God set a plan into motion that he would redeem lost people and that he would redeem them by sending his son into the world. And by sending his son into the world, he would send his perfect son, his only begotten son, his son who would never sin, his son who would never commit a crime, his son who would never violate the law of God. And he would send him into the world to have him come into the world and not just to praise him for being sinless, but to slaughter him as a sacrifice for you and me. And if you're in here today and you don't know about that Jesus That same Jesus who was slaughtered, who was beaten by Romans, who was crucified on a cross, hung there. That same Jesus says, I came so that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus wants to give you new life today. Is there one? Is there one who said, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus I've been walking around here uncertain about myself, feeling marginalized, not knowing that Jesus is standing with open arms waiting to receive you, welcoming you into his household so that he can call you son, daughter, kiss you on your cheek, set you in place with a community of people that love you so that you can live out life the way he commanded you to. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, I ask you to take a big step. Come up front, Brother Dave, he's here. He'll pray for you. He'll walk with you. He'll talk with you about what it means to have faith in Jesus. Is there one? You may find yourself and feel that you are in a marginalized position, but no. That Jesus brings you into the margins. Jesus brings you into the family of God. Scripture says if you would just believe in him and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Is there one that wants to confess today? We'll pray with you. If you're here, Father, thank you for your love, your gracious mercy, your kindness that washes over us. God, free us from the bondage and burden of sin. God, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice this morning that does not know you, God. I pray that they would surrender to you today. I pray that they would submit their life to you today, God, that they would cry out to you. Abba, Father, save me, deliver me from this unjust generation, a generation that continues to marginalize the oppressed. God, we need you today. We need you like never before, God. Would you rain down on us? Your spirit, 
power, your might, God. We need you today. And God, we love you for all that you are and all that you do. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray.